0: co-host of a podcast called Messy Antics Podcast. So check them out. It's a, it's a collection of, of rabbis and a worship leader that delve into some awesome topics, some very deep topics, and they don't hold back. So mes- check out Messy Antics Podcast if you have time. This is recorded. Okay. Well, thank y'all. It's good to see y'all again. Some of you I know very well. Some of you are, are new faces to me so but i'm glad to see here be here and get to meet all of you so don't don't like avoid me because i'm here like actually if you don't know me come and see me and talk to me because i want to get to know you and see who's who all is here who all has been kind of filling in to dmf since i've left because dmf has grown uh exponentially since i uh went down to pensacola about uh, three years ago now i think is what it is so this last yam so um Glad to be back. Um, I think y'all have been in this book the past week. Elementary principles. Uh, Gabe had talked to me about uh, teaching from it, um, going through chapter by chapter and kind of giving just a little bit of an exposition on uh, whichever particular chapter was the particular night uh, that I would be here. And it so happens to be that mine is on the laying on of hands. Uh, which is an important one to me they're all important but um i am personally fascinated with the idea of laying out of hands or what in hebrew we would call smicha it's um you know it's not just a touching uh thing there's actually uh, something spiritual that occurs in the process it's it's not just done um ritualistically uh as it were so uh, as I'm going through, I was just going to say, if you, I know y'all have been kind of doing this with uh, interjecting questions throughout. At least that's the conversation we had had earlier the week. Um, I I do I do squirrel a lot, so I don't do well with that. So I'm just going to ask that if you don't mind holding them till the end, and then and then feel free to ask all the questions you want. Uh, and if you do mind, still hold them uh, till the end, regardless. Um, otherwise, I may have to lay hands on you. And so. Um, but uh, tonight, um, this is kind of like a book report. I felt like I hadn't done this something like this in a while. And then I have a little bit of something to tag on uh, at the end that I had um, thought kind of interesting. Um, as, I, as I go about my days, I think and recollect a lot of the different things I read. And I encourage you to do the same. It's, uh, it's, it's often how we get better at understanding Scripture and how to implement it within our own lives. Is We don't just read it and partake of it during the regular times of reading and study, but as we go throughout our day, it's something that we commit to mind and to action. And so, uh, to start, um, I think Dr. Lancaster actually does a fairly good job of laying out each of these uh, different things. He does a fairly good job with discussing the laying on of hands. Uh, He gives a brief summary on page 75. Uh, He called that uh, laying on of hands was used in his... um, Listed as a ritual, particularly in the Yeshua movement, and what we have, the people we are, we are followers of Yeshua. We are the late uh, practitioners of the Yeshua movement. These two thousand years uh, after his resurrection and ascension, and eagerly awaiting for one day when he returns. Uh, the list he gives is uh, it's used for things like bestowing blessings um, upon children, disciples, the sick. Uh, it's used and seen uh, particularly in the Torah for things like ritual sacrifice, ritual substitution, uh, and it's used uh, for things like ordination, which is what the word actually means today uh, in modern Judaism. You don't receive a degree or a certificate that says you can now be a rabbi, you receive what's called smicha, which is uh, nowadays is kind of like a license, but that's where it comes from, the idea of laying on of hands. And so, uh, let's see. Uh, so he points out several instances in Scripture where the act is used uh, as a blessing or to bestow a blessing. Who knows the first, like, big one? This is, we do this every Erev Shabbat. You do it to the children. Ephraim and Manasseh. The first big, big story we see where this is really a noteworthy event is when Jacob crosses his hands and puts... The di- different hands on the two different boys out of birth order which is something that was seen as, as strange or um you know and uh, to the point where joseph was kind of worried he was like no 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 dad don't do that and and he's like get out of here kid i know what i'm doing <laughs> so uh, we see that and in, uh, in genesis uh yeshua lays his hands on the children he actually tells his disciples who try to keep the children away from bothering uh, they want to keep them from bothering him he says no let the little children come to me and so i can put my hands on them and so i can bless them yeshua heals a little girl in mark and it says uh, that the dad comes to her the uh the publican comes to her and he says you know let me please come and lay your hands on my daughter so that you know she may be healed she may be made well and live and uh we see a similar thing with ananias He is the one who comes to Paul after Paul is stricken with blindness, lays his hands on him, uh, and and the scales fall from his eyes. And then uh, James uh, writes that when people are sick, they should call for the congregational elders to come uh and to pray for them and it's implied that you know laying of hands you go and you lay hands on them and pray for them uh whether they're in their home or in a place where they are uh, keeping the sick today this would be similar to a hospital um or a um uh you know uh, nursing homes or um recovery facilities and we often go uh to these places I'll go with another one of the elders where I'm at, at Bradam and we'll bring oil and we'll both anoint and pray and lay hands on the people we're praying for um and you know they very often get well so we thank God for that so um ritual substitution you know he he lists out that you know uh you you touch you lay your hands on the sacrificial animal well, it's it's much more than uh just a leaning you or not just a, it's not you don't lean your hands on the animal you don't lay them on the animal you actually lean your weight on the animal you know it's just because a sheep or a goat you can actually they're only about waist high You know, you can put your hands on the head of the animal and you actually would lean your weight, conferring your identity, who you were, your spirit, um, in a substitutionary way upon this thing that was about to die for something that you had already repented of. Because by the time you go to the temple, you have to have already been in a state of repentance. Uh, Because again, sacrifices are not payment uh, for sin. Sin is not a, I can do it and pay for it later. It's a restoration. It's a drawing near to God, not a uh, not a transaction. Uh, ordination. Uh, in Numbers, uh, the Lord says to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. So this is a public event. Everyone's invited. We don't know if they had an after party. It doesn't say. But... We know that Moses took Joshua, presented him before the congregation, laid his hands on him, prayed over him, and commissioned him before the congregation of Israel as the future leader of the people of Israel, before they went into the land to take it um, for themselves, as their promise, as their inheritance. Ordination, uh, this this kind of ordination is not strictly one of conferring authority, although it is often... uh, used in that sense it also con- is a way of conferring the holy spirit uh, to the person whose hands are to whom there is having hands laid uh, upon them this is why often we see this after uh, immersions because after someone is immersed after having first come to faith uh, we lay hands on them so that way the holy spirit may be imparted uh unto them so that way they can receive uh, that from god and can operate now in the gifts that god has for them the calling god has for them they can walk in the obedience god has for them uh numbers are or not numbers um but paul uh, does this one of the best examples uh and that lancaster actually lists is that paul comes across several men who had not yet received the holy spirit they had not been immersed in the name of yeshua they had been immersed by john uh, beforehand and he's like hey, do you, guys, do you guys have this thing, this Holy Spirit? And they're like, we, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And he says, well, we can fix that. So he immerses them in the name of Yeshua and then lays hands on them and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Uh, we see a similar event like this in Numbers where Moses takes uh, elders, the 70 elders. Uh, they, uh, the Lord comes down, speaks to Moses. He takes some of the spirit that was upon Moses and gives it to those 70 elders so they can operate in a similar fashion to Moses in a way in a, in a way that involves uh, teaching and leadership and executing justice because these were you know these were not just um leaders in the sense of we look as elders today but these men would have been solving legal cases for the people of israel you know when, when we see you know then talk about you know if you kill someone's animal or if you dig a pit and it falls in you got to find out who's guilty these would be the men who are sitting uh in front of their tents or under a tree and the people would come to them with these cases and they would solve them and administer justice as needed um we see this with the ordate the ordination of deacons uh, they bring an axe they begin to figure out they can't do this alone they begin to figure out that things get uh missed the uh the the widows of the greek converts the greek believers that were in their community were not receiving their portion of food. Well, and that's that's not so much a, uh, they, di- they weren't doing it on purpose. It was an administrative issue. And so they said, okay, well, let's take seven, let's take these seven guys uh, and let's um, let's make them into uh, deacons, people who are actually going to be in charge of making sure the people that are supposed to get food are getting the food. Does that make sense? So deacons do, it's what deacons do here. I know that's what they do here. It's what they do at Bredom. You know, they make sure that the people who have needs are having their needs met because not every leader can see everything. I wish we could, but uh, that would just be impossible. Uh, he tells uh, Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Um, where, you know, it's not a light thing to bring someone into the faith to follow Yeshua. Yeshua himself tells us, count the cost. You need to be sure you want to follow me and live your life after me. We shouldn't just immerse people for the sake of immersion. We shouldn't immerse people and then lay hands on them for the sake of checking them off of box. Well, we got 18 this week. We now have you know, so many converted into the faith this week because then later down the road, if they were not supposed to be there and they had no intention of being there and being faithful and they fall away, it brings, um, it can divide a community. It can bring harm, uh, to those within a community. Same thing with leaders. You don't raise up and you don't make leaders overnight. You definitely don't, uh, you know, if, if you bring in someone to a community who knows their Bible quotes and knows the history of the Jewish people, and knows the history of the Bible and the early church and can tell you all of these wonderful things uh, that doesn't make them necessarily worthy of being a leader. Being a leader is something you watch. You watch the fruit of their life. How do they treat people? How, how are their tongues? How do they talk? You know, and not just what the words they say, but how's their tone? Do they condescend constantly? Do they complain constantly? Or are they people who are what we would call joyful people. People you want to be around, you know? These are the, the, the life of the party without all the bad things that are associated with partying. These are people who are fun. You know, they're, they're, you know, Yeshua, you read, the more you watch Yeshua in the gospels, the more fun he is. Now he has some harsh words for those who are going against what would be godly and good. But for the most part, you know, he, he goes to weddings. He gets invited to weddings. You know, you get invited to weddings if you're a fun person. You get invited to parties if you're a fun person. This was considered what we're going to call basic knowledge, which is kind of the whole point of the book uh, is to explain and to kind of lay out for us uh, how much that these six principles to include the laying out of hands is a supposed to be a normal thing in each of our lives. It's supposed to be something that we all um, can either see done and understand what's happening. Or can actually participate in uh, ourselves. There's almost not ever. There's almost never a time if I'm in the presence of someone who I'm praying for where I'm not touching them physically. You know, it's it's just become second nature because that's who we are. That's a basic of being a follower of Yeshua in the Yeshua movement, laying on of hands, and it's 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 and it can be just for you know, hey man, I'm having a rough time at work, pray for me. You know, come here pray over them but it can also it's especially for praying over the sick Um, you know when there was a temple standing bringing a sacrificial offering to the temple because you know Paul and other Jewish believers who were going up into the temple regularly went and would then lay hands on sacrificial offerings to give and of course for the ordaining of teachers and elders and deacons but I want to call attention to something that I found interesting uh, that I've been thinking about uh, for the greater part of this week as I uh, prepared for this that you know sometimes we get caught up in the basics uh, so much that we forget the point of this passage in Hebrews is to move beyond the basics he's, he's talking about let us not lay again a foundation of the basic thing he's like let's uh, go on um, one thing that brings us outside of the basics is once you've mastered the basics and you begin to learn other things, you are expected to then turn around and become a discipler yourself. You are supposed to become someone who trains up the next batch of believers. And, and it's not just teachers and rabbis and pastors who are responsible for this. All of us can find ourselves uh, with someone who needs discipling under our particular person, uh, wherever we happen to be. Um, Within ancient Judaism, you know, we see later on as it's written down uh, things like Wisdom of the Fathers, where it talks about, you know, the Torah was given to Moses at Sinai and then given to Joshua, the elders, the prophets, and eventually to the men of the Great Assembly. And they had three things to say, which was be patient in the administration of justice, raise many disciples, sounds familiar, and make a fence around the Torah. So we see from the beginning, it was understood that there was this need to transmit the Torah. There was this need to transmit the teaching of your elders, of the person who came before you. And, uh, and we're expected to do the same. Yeshua tells us, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And, uh, so part of this idea. Of making disciples part of this idea is is uh, this because eventually what you, what you do is you when you disciple someone you lay hands on them to bring them into the fold and if you commission them if you're in a place to commission them to become uh, a leader let's say you're planting a new congregation you would lay hands upon them give them smicha and send them off to become the leader of this uh, new congregation or place um, and and all of this has to all this ties in uh together and uh, the, the last one that i was thinking about most of this week was the idea of making uh a, a fence how do you how do you make fences around the torah what does it even mean now normally it's interpreted as establishing preventative practices um you know you know if you don't want pornography on your computer you get blockers that's a preventative practice you know if if you don't want to drive over the cliff at night you put guardrails up with reflectors on the side it's a preventative practice but um i don't that's not necessarily what i wanted to or not definitely not what i was thinking about um when it comes to how fences and laying out of hands seems related at least as i was studying this this week when you receive the laying out of hands like the substitutional offering you receive the identity of the one. You receive the weight, the glory, the kavod of the one laying hands upon you uh, with healing. You receive the identity of the faith towards God for healing. It, it's, it's not that anything great you have done. It's not anything great this person has done. It's that this person has the faith in God to heal you, but and lay, is so much believes that, that they're willing to come and touch you in your sickness. You know, we just we, 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 uh, we all lived in a time not too long ago not going to mention how many years where we were all avoiding some kind of sickness or touching or whatever or arguing about how much touching we should be doing or involving or whatever have you but that you would come with faith to lay hands on the, on this person to then convey this uh, this identity uh, over to them that your faith, that your prayer to God would be that this person would be healed Uh, with conferring of the Holy Spirit it's the identity of the spirit of God within the person laying hands on you with authority. It's the identity of the authority of the other that, you know, this, this teacher, this leader is conferring authority upon you. He's conferring his identity of leadership, of teaching, of guiding, of discipling over to you. And it's a public event like with Moses and Joshua. You know, the the people are seeing this and then they can go now. They know I can go to this person and I can receive from them what God has given them to give to me and to the others in my community. When we receive the laying on of hands as new believers, we receive the identity of Yeshua. We inherit the identity of who he is. Now, there are days that we don't feel like that. There are times, you know, when we, when we mess up, when we slip up and, and, and fall and have, make mistakes. We don't always feel like we have the identity with us of Yeshua. It can be difficult to feel that way. But that's who you are. When you are redeemed, when you are brought into the fold, when you are immersed in the name of Yeshua, washed clean and brought in, your identity is changed before God. And you receive the laying out of hands upon arising from the water. And now you can identify your flesh with the death um, and crucifixion. It's gone. It's been destroyed. You can identify with the newness of spirit and life within the resurrection. All of that weighs upon you much like you would weigh upon someone when laying out of hands. When you receive the laying out of hands as disciples graduated or not whatever and whatever that looks like. Um, I was laughing. I was talking with some other uh friends who are uh, also messianic rabbis because um oftentimes you know the idea of like what is a rabbi what makes a rabbi even greater judaism to this day argues about that they're not quite sure uh 100 exactly uh, what makes uh sometimes they're pretty sure what doesn't make but most of the time there's still a question as to what makes a rabbi um i was i was joking with them because i said ironically you know the reform movement which oftentimes seems the most the furthest from god is the one that actually cares about um having some kind of educational standard ironically which i hate because i love education and i love god and i want both of those to be meet together and so it it ugh it irks me but that's okay i'm 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 worth irking i guess um when we graduate as disciples or when we become disciples we begin to inherit the teaching of our master whether that's Yeshua or the under Shepherd you know there are other because obviously God gives us other teachers in which to to look to you know I've had several in my life from Gabe to Rabbi Eric um, and you know I, I, I took their teachings I took their practices their opinions you know that's that's sometimes you know we like to uh Discipleship is not just about learning the Torah. It's not just about learning Scripture as much as it is an act of submission. Because, you know, if you cannot submit to another human being, how can you say that you can submit to God? Same goes if you don't love your brother whom you see. How can you love God whom you don't see? Discipleship is as much an act of submission and an act of putting yourself under the authority of someone Above you. Something above you. Because sometimes we, we, we like to be self-autonomous. We like our own opinions. I, w- I want my thoughts. I want my opinions. I don't want to have to begin to practice your opinion. But it's when we say, I will practice yours. Your interpretation of this passage. Because I'm submitted to your authority. And as long as they're acting within a godly parameter. this Whoever you're following. Then they're worthy of listening to, they're worthy of submitting to. Uh, If you will, we inherit their fence. We inherit their fences. What's up? Oh, is it sinking? Oh no, you're good. Thanks. (laughs) We inherit uh, their fences. It's kind of like inheriting land, like inheriting a, a garden plot. You know, you may inherit something like that's 50 feet by 50 feet. Uh, some garden beds, a nice white picket fence, um, or, or a nice natural stain, whatever suits your fancy. Um, for those of you that are gardeners. Um, and the fence sets the garden apart. And different gardeners garden different things. And some gardens, they actually will grow, they'll fence off different things in different sections, in different areas. And God does the same things with teachers. You know, you, you'll have one teacher who's really good at doing this thing. You have one teacher who's really good at doing this thing. And all of us come together as, as the body. That's what you know. Paul describes it as a physical body. You know, the eyes do something different than the ears and the nose. And all of those things um, interact together. Because if you were growing a garden for the purpose of having a salad, a salad's not really good if it's just lettuce, right? It was just one thing. What? Because what is a salad supposed to be? A big, a big bowl of all the things. Mushrooms and tomatoes and some nuts and some dressing. Yeshua told his disciples that, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Yeshua never expected us to inherit from him or to inherit from our teachers one thing and then to remain stagnant for the rest of our lives to be really good at interpreting and uh, doing exposition on one select area of scripture one particular practice and then to stop there and to not not visit anything else to not ever try to grow anything else to not ever try and build a different fence Because, you know, if we inherit a garden or if you inherit multiple gardens and you don't ever try to do anything new with those or take out old dirt and old soil and put in something new in the new beds or uh, behind uh, the fence, um, you you could end up finding yourself like the, the men in the parable of the talents, who they received something and then some of them did things with it and then some of them did nothing with it. And what is... What does our master have to say about the one who did nothing with it? Not a good thing, right? Not nothing, nothing good. Not a good report. And all of us have these different callings, these different abilities and giftings that we receive from our different teachers uh, and mentors over the years. Our different fences, uh, and they're because they all protect, and they all shape, and they all guide. It. And that's what that's what uh, teachings and opinions of teachers do. They they say, here's the commandment of God. Here's how, here, here's what it actually literally means. Here's a, 10 other ways to apply this throughout uh, different aspects of your life. Because remember, the Torah is living. You know, the, the Torah, the, the contrary to popular belief, the Torah is not done away with. You know, as, as some would say, it's a living document, so much so that it's called a tree of life. You know, it's something that when it's planted fresh and cultivated the right way, it grows and it produces good fruit uh, for everyone involved, for all of us. And so when you receive the laying out of hands, you become responsible for maintaining the fences you inherit and you become responsible for expanding those fences and keeping them in repair as needed. Perfect example of this, as I was thinking, when Yeshua's disciples began the Yeshua movement, Who were the, what, who was involved? Yes, you're allowed to say, you're allowed to to say. (laughs) If I ask, you're allowed to say. Thank you for for acknowledging that. I will jump all over the place. Thank you. Um, This was, this was a Jewish movement. This was, this was a Jewish movement. And then all of a sudden an axe. Who begins coming in? Those from the nations. And so the disciples inherited a fence from Yeshua. And what was the fence? Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then all of a sudden, a new fence, a new new gate needs to be built all of a sudden to welcome in those from the nations whom God is making clean, whom God is bringing in to the movement. So they expanded it. They kept the fence, they maintained it, and they made it a better fence. They made it to where it could bring in those who were seeking to come in, who needed to be in. So how do we employ this practice into our discipleship? Because that's what it's all about, right? Becoming better disciples, becoming better followers of Yeshua. Uh, I was really glad when Gabe was talking about, uh, you know, men, those of you who are married, tomorrow night on Shabbat, as you should every Shabbat, every day if you can, uh, to, to bless your wife, to lay blessing upon her to lay hands upon your wife upon your spouse because ladies you can do it too it's not you know this is a, this is a we can be equal here no no male or female in messiah right don't take that too far some people take it way out of out of line we find ourselves in problems today if people would not take things out of context (laughs) You can, you can lay your hands upon your spouse and your children. This is like the, probably the easiest way to employ the practice of laying out of hands. Go to those who need prayer. If, if you are physically active, you don't have any autoimmune deficiencies or diseases, and you can safely go into a hospital, ask your elders who's who's there, who's in the hospital in our community. Who could receive prayer and time from... Me, who could receive the identity of my faith towards God, and a in a, in a prayer that will, you know, God willing, will bring healing to them. Lay hands on the people you disciple, those who you're teaching and raising up. Lay your hands on them and pray over them. Ask God's blessing and favor upon them that He would reveal their gifts and their calling, so that way they can step out fully into the community. And because you know, otherwise those things remain hidden and trapped away, and. What good is it if we hide it away? Again, like the parable of the talents. What good is it if it remains buried? Ladies, this in particular for you, because oftentimes we talk about discipleship, and I think we focus a lot of times on men discipling other men, but rarely do we remember to remind the ladies that you are responsible for training up the young women in the community. You have a field of people who are, of of other young women who are just ready to be discipled. Ready to be raised up. To learn how to love their husbands, their children, their households. To learn how to love God. You're responsible for teaching them that. Teach them that. Lay your hands upon them and pray over them. Pray over them for their families. Look for ways to build more upon what you've already been given from both Yeshua and your teachers. You know, you've received the laying on of hands. If you're born again, you've received the Holy Spirit. You've received the greatest laying on of hands you could ever receive from from God himself. Look for ways to find new ways to employ the commandments of God, not just within your individual lives and your community, but within the surrounding community around you. Because remember, we're not supposed to remain stagnant. We're not supposed to hide away in our communities. We're supposed to be those who the world sees, the light shines, so that way the world can come up. Because remember, it's all about, in the end, the entire world coming up to the house of the God of Jacob. So we're responsible for getting them there, leading them to that place. And learn what it means to understand, to maintain the fence you were handed. Because, you know, we can look to make it greater, and we should. But you also have to remember to maintain what you've been given, to be responsible for what uh, God has already given you to do. Because if you can't do that, then you can't make it greater. That makes sense. So that's a little bit of what it means to receive the laying out of hands. So that's what I have for you tonight. Any questions? Yes. No. Maybe. So. Nope. That's not good. Not Brian, what's up? Right. I mean, we, we... I've gone into... Not too long ago, we had an older gentleman who had been diagnosed with, I believe, Parkinson's. Um, and he was actively... Um, passing away like there was there was like unless God worked a miracle there was no um, he was he was going you know, hospice had been called it was at this point just make him as comfortable as possible and we had gone in um, Rabbi Eric and myself and we had brought um, we brought oil with us and gone with his wife and we we just you know I, I always anoint the front of the head and just we had anointed him and prayed over him and he actually was around for several more days um, after that, but over time he eventually passed. And it was—I um, was talking to Xavier earlier—that uh, it was good for him to pass. He was ready. He had been ready for years to, you know, to go to be with to be with God, and uh, and his wife told us that. And so, and she had asked me probably about a year before within a year before this, you know, she had come to me at a fellowship dinner and she started the question, which, don't ever start a question this way. She said, can you pray for someone to die? And I said, you know, I, I thought, like, who are you trying to have whacked? <laughs> like, well, you know, that, it caught me so off guard. I nearly fell out of my chair. It caught me so off guard. Um, but she explained to me her husband was ready to go. You know he was he had lived his life and, and so we came and we prayed we anointed him and then it wasn't long after that that he passed away, um, and you know had lived a good life a godly life, um, they had been um, they had been uh, ministers themselves but he had also had a very uh, rather exciting naval aviation career, um, so you know he was it was good to see that happen and to see that prayer answered that he would not lie there suffering for days um waiting for his body to finally fail um so uh, another um when uh actually rabbi eric's wife had been praying for a person one time they had she had they had confirmed cancer in um i think both kidneys and they were going to open up to see what could be done if anything and so um rabbi eric's wife had been praying over this person for some time they opened her up to where there was supposed to be cancer, and there was no sign of cancer, at all. So you know the, you know prayer works, but so does laying on of hands. So does so does anointing. That's why we do it. We wouldn't do it if we didn't have um, things to look back on and go. You know we trust not in the ritual. We don't practice magic, and if it's just the ritual, it just becomes magic. You might you might as well just get a wand and some rocks, and go say some whatever you know but we trust in the one whom we're asking for the healing and that's why that's why we do it so does that that help some some with that right uh you know the same Same. uh even the conferring of authority you know at uh we had uh i was able to witness a uh a gentleman who received ordination recently as a Messianic rabbi. He lives in Pennsylvania um, at a conference. He had finished all requirements, um, had been interviewed by several other uh, Messianic rabbis and uh, teachers, and they were he was um, someone worthy of investing in, someone worthy of ordaining as a leader, and they laid hands on him. Um, and he has uh, grown exponentially in... Uh, I guess I'll call it success in a apologetics ministry for um, being a Messianic, which is not like we don't have a ton of those. So to have, you know, someone who, especially as young as he is, you know, he's not, um, you know, what we have. uh, There are some great Messianic apologists who are, you know, I won't probably will not be with us for another 10 years, but he will be around God willing for another 50 you know, so he will be someone who can be a bulwark in the, uh, within, within, within our movement. So Cool. I believe, too, that God will lead you to people sometimes. Yeah. Because I've heard him say, go do this, or go say this. Or, right. And if God tells you to, you should. Oh, yes. Yeah. Hurry. Because otherwise, otherwise, yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. You can pray about, I mean, you should pray about it beforehand. You know, it's like we don't, you know, we we, we try to pray before we go to hospitals. But because, you know, we we know we're going to, we're going there to be a source of encouragement, a source of God's spirit for, um, and sometimes, sometimes they're not believers. Sometimes the people we go and visit. Sometimes they're family members of people who are within our community already who who themselves are followers of Yeshua but they they may not be and so you know pray that we would be we would actually be that light that we would actually be the Spirit of God that they see and that you you know should we pray for them lay hands on them that whatever that it would bring not only healing but also the presence of God to their lives whether it's that day or a year from now um because we don't again we don't it's not we it's not it's not magic you know we it's not like we can it's not an equation that we just do it and something is supposed to happen it may be we pray over them lay hands on them they're healed and then a year from then on they remember and they go i wonder who their god was that i should probably look more into that and so yeah does that help. Yes. <laughs> so is this also some sort of spiritual gift or is this something that anyone, can- anyone can lay hands on anyone else. Yeah. Now obviously if you have a if you have a gift that um, you know, for things like healing, then yeah, you absolutely should. Like and if you don't, like how dare you? <laughs> how dare you not? Um, but this this is something everyone can do. You can every one of us can bless another person. Every one of us can lay hands on another person and ask God's favor upon them. That's not—that's not something that requires some sort of rank or position to be able to do. Answer. Sure, sure. Any others? Um, yeah, sorry. The question was: Should you? Are there ever times in which someone may come up to you and ask, you know, you know, can I pray for you and lay hands on you? Should you reject that? Um, if it's someone who is known, <coughs> you know that God is with them, or God, God can tell you, hey, this person is here to pray for you, and that's I've. I've read several stories like that where someone, even a stranger, may come and God's like, they're here to pray for you, let them lay hands on you and pray for you. You know, then let that happen. I don't, because unless someone is actively uh, imposing bodily harm, nothing's going to cut, like if the wrong person lays hands on you, nothing's going to come of that. Does that make sense? Because again, it's not, you know, it's, it's not them. It's not any power within them. It's the power upon or within them from God. And so if it's a, the wrong person and God's with you, nothing is going to, you'll be fine. Yeah. And you could say no. Yeah. You just, you, you might hurt some people's feelings, but, you know. Any other? Yes. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh yeah, you can absolutely corporately lay hands on a person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That that's why when it says to send for the elders, it's elders plural. It's you know it's not just like obviously if only one's available, sure go. But if all of them can go, bring all of them. You know, or more. Yeah. Any others? Right. hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I Saw people who were, you know, hardcore drug addicts, completely delivered from drug addiction. Right. And never touched it again. Alcoholics. Right. Alcoholics stumble in, not knowing what they're going to get into, just talking about spiritual, and immediately come under the Holy Spirit, completely sober, and then it's the cool. Right. Those are mirrors. Right, yeah. 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 It reminds me of uh, I, I encouraged a lot of people to go see the um, uh, uh, the uh, Jesus Revolution movie. There were um, because you know this the modern day resurgence of our movement largely comes from that like was birthed out of that experience um particularly in california um and there were there are to this day a lot of living messianic leaders who were completely redeemed completely from drugs from alcoholism from you know just lives of debauchery in an instant and like i've talked with some of these people who are living and leading and teaching today who you know experienced that outpouring and experienced those miracles and received the laying on of hands from you know people who were just simply bringing what God told them to say to uh, lots of these young people because of course back then they were much younger um, and uh, you know, is table, right. Right. Yeah. There's something to all that. Anyone else? Yes, Julia. It seems like such a simple thing to do to lay hands on someone that you pray for them. What do you think is the biggest reason why people maybe shy away from that or don't do that? Why are some of the biggest reasons why people shy away from lying on of hands? reaching out and touching uh, people to pray for them. I, I think it's the same reason why people don't like speaking in front of other people. They're afraid. Um, you know sometimes sometimes a lot of a lot of a lot of folks will think if I do this and pray over this person and nothing happens, is this going to destroy their faith or you know uh, decrease it somehow And so sometimes that can be a fear. But again, that's operating in a fear, and we shouldn't operate in a fear. Because remember, it's not its not my touching the person. It's not your touching of the person that is going to confer authority, the Holy Spirit, or healing. It's God. And so you can touch and pray and bless, but it's not up to you. Um, so you, you just do. There's no reason to ever be afraid of what the results are because the results aren't of you. So to help anyone else I'll be here for a hot minute so if you want to like a private question don't don't shy away uh, from that either so thank you very much, you're welcome thank you for having me I'm glad I got to come